You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. This is episode number four of the Calc series. Be significant, what employers look for. In this episode, I'm talking with Amy and Rachel about things that you need to show to employers and what are the typical entry requirements, what technical skills do you need to have, but also what soft skills do you need. So have fun listening to this episode. Now we have another episode with the Calc team and this is really nice uh, because today we are talking about what employers actually look out for graduates and uh, what it takes to be um, to get into this industry and what you can now do to actually achieve that. So, and in this episode, I have again two guests from the PSI Calc team, which is awesome, Rachel and Amy. Rachel, in terms of the typical entry requirements, what do you think employers look out for and is it different for different employers? Hmm. I think this has changed over the years I've been in the industry certainly. Um, five years ago most people would enter a statistical role with an MSc, so a Masters, um, usually in statistics or medical statistics perhaps with modules or applications in medicine. This is not the standalone route anymore. I think we're seeing more and more PhDs. Um, they're not preferred, but it could be an advantage or you might have additional experience that is of interest to a particular pharmaceutical company or CRO or clinical trials unit. So I guess when I started in the industry in the CRO, it was mostly MSc applicants that came through. For a lot of the programming roles though, there were a majority of BSCs in maths or um, computer science. Yeah, I think it's, there's a little bit also of a country difference. So I think in the UK, uh, MSc level is, for example, different than in Germany or in France or in, in, in the US also. So I think it can vary by by market. So you need to look a little bit into that. What's, what's the job market you're in? So I know that in the US, lots of pharma companies prefer PhD students, uh, but that's a, a little bit of a different background there. Um, but it varies over time, yeah. And I think the other point is you mentioned in terms of the statistics degrees. I think that is now also becoming more broader. I think with also data science things, computer science things, there's um, more and more people also coming from these areas that actually go into statistics roles because it's not only kind of let's say this narrowly defined clinical trial statistician role, it becomes a little bit broader. That's my perception. Amy, what's, what's your...? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, my understanding was that uh, a couple of years ago that it, it, it was mainly, if you were looking to do statistics as a career, you only kind of needed a BSc and a master's was kind of optional, preferred if you had one, but now it's definitely, seen, it, it's more that a master's seems to be, that you, you, you need that. I think if I look on job descriptions now, most of them will all require a master's, but it is a personal thing as well. So if you've got a, a background with um, a load of medical experience, then that's really useful in actually understanding the data. So if you've shown that you've got that interest in the stats as well, then I can imagine that employers would look at you as a very interesting candidate and understanding why you've suddenly changed that route. So if you've not got that generic BSc, MSc background, be prepared to kind of defend why you're, you've come from this slightly different background, but see it as a strength as well. Yeah. 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 And I think also, um, you know, it doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't apply for a job if you've got a BSc and not an MSc. It's still appropriate. It's perhaps less typical for, for those roles, but if you're, you know, an outstanding candidate and you're you can show you, you can perform really well in statistics in the areas that employers are looking for, then they would definitely consider you. I guess one question I had, Alexander, is um for PhD candidates, um, is there a certain area of interest that employers would look for? I think anything that is related to, to the medical area is good. If it's too much ivory tower, I think that's, that's bad. It needs to be kind of applicable to the medical uh, field. Yeah. What I sometimes see in some pharma companies is that uh, people that come up with a PhD have a different kind of career perspective long term. Yeah. So if we talked in one of uh, the episodes about technical career progression versus supervisory career progression and to get to these very, very senior uh, technical roles, very often a PhD is a requirement mm -hmm. and uh, people that come into the industry with a PhD have a more kind of natural path towards that, whereas if you come, don't have a PhD, you're maybe, you know, could be that you get into a, into a career situation where you run against a wall, you know, so, so because everybody that is higher up does have a, a PhD. Uh, but then that doesn't mean just because you don't have the PhD that you can't go down that route. I know a lot of um, uh, a lot of companies will say, well, if that's something that interests you, that technical route, then they'll kind of um, help you and partially fund or assist yeah. you with completing your PhD part time alongside your job. Yeah. So, um, so that's it, also a possibility. Yeah. yeah. So I know of the other possibilities. I know that um, uh, people became freelancers. And then during that time, uh, did say a PhD. Mm. And so, also, I think the nice thing is once you're in the industry, you much better understand what the benefit is exactly yeah. for the PhD, and that also will change over time. And sometimes you can even do it kind of on your work. Yeah. So, so while you're doing something, uh, while you're let's say writing papers, that can 
basically be the fundament of your of your PhD. And you can also benefit from the international setting that pharma companies have because you may now just think about the PhD of the country where you're in. But maybe in the future it may be more helpful to you to have a PhD in the US or a PhD in Germany or a PhD in what other nice country, yeah, where there's a, maybe a specific professor that has a specific knowledge where you can work together with. So that gives you lots of other opportunities later on. And it doesn't need to be the PhD in the university where you are now or the universities in your country think there's a much bigger perspective long term. Yeah, definitely. Okay, in terms of other technical skills, should we add something more regarding that? Hmm. I think huge part of the job, I guess, that people might be put off by is the programming skills. I know that I've spoke to a number of statisticians that I've, I've worked with in the past and they've admitted that programming was not their forte at, at university and perhaps they weren't taught it correctly. And, or they missed a lesson and it never made sense, you know, right from the very start. So it, it, it's just to say that most companies that do graduate schemes will, will help you program from scratch and usually spend a lot of time and resource into getting you to a certain level that is, is necessary for the job. So it might appear a little bit scary on, on paper if, if you're not used to programming, but can guarantee that if you're from a maths background or a stats background that it is something that you will be good at you just need to be taught it correctly and use it on a day-to-day -day basis yeah. yeah it depends a lot on the teachers that you have and, and if you do it day-to-day -day, you you pick up much better programming habits than maybe if it's self-taught or yeah and it's different learning yeah, yeah if you're learning it at university you're learning it um, you're not learning it to uh, for an exam, but that is your goal at that point in time is you need to pass the exam to get to where you ultimately want to be. But on the job, you're able to kind of look back to notes. I know a lot of us will kind of keep little snippets of code that we use on a regular basis. Um, so you need to understand what's going on there, but it's not the same in that you don't need to be able to just know it all off the top of your head you just need to understand what's going on and make those notes in the code yourself and that ultimately helps other people as well um, if they need to pick up your code so that they can use it as well so it's not a test the job itself so I think I remember one way I, I used to look at it early in my career was that I was getting paid to learn a new language I think you know day one I didn't know anything about SAS but now Four years down the line I could probably program in my sleep it's because you're using it every day and making mistakes and throwing errors and warnings at you you soon know how to tame the beast that is SAS programming <laughs> <laughs> that's a very very nice uh, <laughs> way to say it yeah yeah any other things that we missed in terms of the skills I guess I mean, if you're wanting to be a statistician, you need to know about some of this stats methodology and pretty much all of that's going to be covered in your BSc, if that's the level you're going to, uh, or and 
further in your MSc. So the expectations from the employer will be based on if you've got BSc or MSc ultimately, but I guess the key things to think about are probably mixed models, survival analysis, generalised linear models, thinking about missing data is a hot topic at the moment, so all you really need to do is look through some of the, I guess, the PSI webinars and you can see what all the hot topics are and how they're used in different therapeutic areas. So, and really, if you get your, if you come to an employer, you're looking for a job, you've got your degree then that's tick tick that box teaching you've shown that you can learn that steps methodology and anything that you don't know is really easy for employers to fill in those gaps and send you on further courses when you're um when you when you're actually doing the job i think one of the key things is that you can that you learn to learn and that you keep on learning and improving you mentioned the um, PSI webinars. Uh, that's actually a very, very nice resource to learn a lot of things. There's, of course, also very advanced things into it, so things that you're really not required to know. But you get actually entry into these webinars for free if you become a member of PSI. And as students, this is for free. And another really nice resource is the Video On Demand content library that uh, PSI has. So if you go to psiweb.org, there will be a menu that says Video On Demand. And all the webinars, lots of one-day events, is all recorded there. And together with the slides very often and all this material, it's really, really nice material that you can access for free if you're students and become a PSI member. Uh, I use that quite a lot in my job as well because um, there's the difference between being taught at uni and you're learning really heavy theory stats content which you don't necessarily need to know in as much detail to be able to apply within your within the job and so those webinars actually give quite a nice general overview and um, a kind of communicated a lot of them will be communicated in layman's terms and if not there's quite a lot of things online resources for um, looking at YouTube videos that really nicely give you a quick brief overview if you need a quick recap on every anything so yeah the internet's a great resource for that. And I think most jobs allow the time for you to go away and research those methodologies and analyses it's at least been very rare in my career so far that I've been, obviously there's times of high pressure and deadlines but you normally do get the time to go away and learn um, or touch up on topics that you covered at university that you've forgotten all about. Yeah, so one thing that I really want to emphasize emphasize that Amy already touched on is linear models. So I think that's bread and butter all the time. So being it logistic regressions or ANOVA and COVA, uh, all these kind of things, really understanding linear models is very, very key. Yeah. If you have that knowledge uh, and can apply it to a variety of different endpoints, let's say binary endpoints, ordered categorical endpoints, continuous endpoints, survival endpoints, if you really get that all correct, then you have already a really, really good tool set. 
to basically start on. Yeah, and just knowing what the what type of endpoint you've got, just just having some sort of, I, I guess I'd suggest kind of creating some sort of notes for yourself of what's the endpoint and what what method are you going to use to to analyse that. So, if you just keep some sort of condensed notes somewhere, that really helps long term to use throughout your career and also in interviews and things. So, a little stats cheat sheet helps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a little bit about the technical skills. But I think another really important point, and, and um, we touched upon that a couple of times during this series of podcast episodes, and we'll also touch on it very, very heavily in episode number five of this series, is the soft skills. So what's your perception on soft skills that a graduate should bring? So I guess for me, I guess I said it in the previous episodes, is that communication is going to be your key one so thinking about that not just in the obvious sense of okay this is on a job description you need to have good communication skills doesn't just mean communicating statistics to non-statisticians it doesn't just mean being able to present with ease in front of a room full of people Um, obviously they're both kind of skills that you need to have but also just thinking on a more personal level in your day-to-day job, you're constantly sending those emails, so um, making it clear what your expectations are, being concise. I mean, I mean, for me, one thing I like to do whenever I start a study is set up a quick 15-minute call with various members of your study team just so they know who you are and you can break down that kind of formal barrier so you're able to approach each other with questions when needed and have those face-to-face meetings whether that's I mean whether that's just a video call or a voice call or in person that communication is essential not just for doing your job but just for you to be able to have an easy life doing your job and enjoy going to work um, it's definitely key day to day yeah communication is key I think definitely Um, you touched on Amy that you'd be working a lot in teams and I think we we always say that statisticians should be good at communicating but I think as well you'll be in so many meetings you know sometimes you have half days full days of meetings and I think you've really got to understand how to listen to people as well. Um, yeah, listening skills listening. are really important. Yeah, yeah. And, and being able to pick out the key points that people are trying to make. And Unfortunately, not everyone in the industry is a good communicator, so it's working with different people who communicate using different styles um, and, of course, across the globe. So it's the sooner you you learn how to listen to to all different people that you work with, the, the better. I, yeah. I really kind of think these kind of skills you pick up at extracurricular uh, topics. Yeah. So, so if you join a student association, if you, you know, have any kind of volunteer associations that you work in, that you push forward, that you, you know, drive things forward in. That's always a team sport and if if you can succeed in these kind of things, that's very similar to the discussions that you will have at work, where there's opposing views, where there's, you know, you need to convince others. They 
And you know, you can't just tell these others what to do, you need to convince them. Yeah? And that is, these are exactly the skills that you will need at work as well. And that's why a lot of employers also look out for these activities. Because if you have been the, the head of the whatsoever student association for a year, they know that you have been in these kind of situations. They know that you had these you know, crucial discussions. They know that you needed to organize meetings and kind of drive forward an organization, drive forward a, a team. And that's also what's needed at work for statisticians. If you're putting that on your CV as well, also be explicit because it might not necessarily be very obvious to people. So in some of the cases, if you're the head of a student body of some sort, then then it's quite obvious, but in other cases you can take something really abstract and show how, be very specific, Give do that whole point evidence, explain, what's the other anagram they use, but it, it's that whole give me a scenario so I can see exactly what situation you were in and show me how you um, showed that you could use good communication skills. When we go back to listening as well, so not just the, the loudest person in the room isn't always right, and so there's you're under, you've got to understand your study team and how they work. So it could be that someone likes to sit back more and be. Uh, I, I can remember someone saying that he was compared to being a monk, where he had a lot of knowledge, but he just liked to sit in the corner and think and reflect a lot. But he wasn't very good at communicating that. To the team and it, it, it was true and as soon as he'd identified that he'd worked out a bit more how to speak about that but it's your job as well as for good communication skills to listen to that person and also leadership skills identify the fact that that person works maybe in the same way maybe differently to you and be able to draw out that their knowledge and their their skills and what they can bring to the team yeah. We actually dive um, a lot in the soft skill uh, topics also in the last episode, uh, so the episode number five that comes out about one month after this one, so just stay tuned for this other episode regarding that. In terms of learning about that, there's also a couple of interesting PSI events on, on these kind of related topics. So, so watch out for that. And there's lots of things about soft skills in the Effective Statistician podcast episodes. So, uh, for example, there's an um, episode on how to sell your achievements. And that goes exactly into the direction, uh, Amy, that you just talked about, kind of situation, task, action, result, these kind of frameworks that you can use to explain what you have achieved and what was the impact. So just go back to these different episodes in terms of soft skills and you can pick up a lot, a lot of, of these because they will be applicable no matter whether you're one week into your career or whether you're 20 uh, years into your career. Communication is something that you never stop learning. You need to kind of continuously improve that. It's the same as with, with all the different leadership skills. Actually, communication is, so to say, one of the parts of leadership skills. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. And here, in terms of leadership skills, it's really very much about these leadership skills that you also have in these voluntary organizations. So it's not that you're the supervisor and you tell the others. 
it's about convincing the others, it's about influencing the others when they actually have the choice to do something else. And that's what's needed of you in a day-to-day -day job. And I think it kind of that um, one key things as well is no one wants to work with someone that's just kind of stuck in their ways. Um, so I think that the experience I've had with interviews is they want someone that's going to drive things forward. So whether that's from a leadership kind of role, you need to show that you're willing to change and willing to kind of move with the times and do what's needed to kind of give the best result at the at the end of things and make sure we're driving things forward and pushing things within the industry. Yeah, because the industry is forever changing. Um, so if you've got, I guess, the enthusiasm to 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 keep up with those trends, then you, you would make a good statistician. But I think, for me, if I could give one message to someone looking to be in the industry, to have that initial passion, um, but also to just be yourself, and I guess if, if you're a right fit for an employer, it'll, it will be easy for you, and you can play to your strengths once you're in your career, but I think ultimately you, you should be yourself. Yeah. We're all, we're all people at the end of the day. It's people you're going to be working with on a daily basis. So you're going to want to employ someone who's you can see yourself working with on a daily basis. You see these people more often than you see your own family a lot of the time. <laughs> so you, 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 you kind of um, need to be able to get on with people and interact with people, communicate well, just from that point of view as well. And the, what you're saying about personality, individuality, let that shine through on your CV because you're all in the same position coming out of things as, a, as an undergrad student or, uh, or with a master's. You have the same things from the technical perspective. Maybe, you, I mean, obviously do what you can, go on courses to try and dis like distinguish yourself from the rest of the people there. But sell yourself, like use your cover letter to let them know who you are as a person because that's also really important. And in, in, at the risk of sounding a little bit esoteric, I think the finding out about yourself, finding out about your own strengths is really, really important. So, so um, and there's actually a couple of uh, nice, nice tools about that. So one of that is called StrengthsFinder. Uh, it's a little bit of money to put in there to actually do, do the test and get the test results, but it's not a lot and I think it's absolutely worth it to know where your strengths are, understand your strengths, because if you don't understand them, if you don't know um, how you can work according to your strengths, you constantly struggle and you compare yourself to others that have completely other strengths profiles and you wonder why it's so easy for them and why it's always so you know, difficult for you. And so find out about these kind of things and that will help you a lot also in any interview sessions. You'll, you'll nearly always get asked a question about can you identify what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And so I guess you're saying here about identifying your strengths, but being able to identify your weaknesses, I, I guess it's easy to think of that when you're going into an interview straight away, fresh out of uni, to think, okay, so how can I switch this round to being a really good thing and a, and a strength? But actually, knowing what your weaknesses are, I think if you can really get behind that, give the example of 
what you're not so good at doing and what your steps are, your what steps you've put in place currently and what you're going to do in the future to be able to change them. It just shows that you're willing to develop and change as a person, that you're going to be flexible, that you you know what you need to work on and you're not going to be handheld through this process of your career. So you need to be the one driving that forward and improving those weaknesses. However, I need to say there's one fundamental shift that I learned after uh, university and that it's far more better to invest in your strengths than <laughs> to invest in your weaknesses unless they have a really a limiting factor uh, on, on your career and on your life um, because everything that you invest into your strengths gets multiplied really by your talent and, um, and then working according to your strengths you can perform so much better and have so much more fun. It's, yeah. it's really then if you kind of constantly try to cover up for your weaknesses that's really a bad situation to be in and then you will always kind of you know, compare yourself to, to other persons that are naturally different, wired than you, and that's just a bad setup. <laughs> okay, I think with that uh, we are at the end of this uh, really informative episode about what employers look for. We talked about the formal requirements, we talked about the technical requirements, we talked about the soft skill requirements, and again Lots of these things you can find out at the PSI homepage and there is the free membership for students to become a PSI member and with help that have lots of good benefits from that including for example the webinars and the video on demand content library. Thanks uh, Amy, thanks uh, Rachel and with that Oh, thank See you, you in about four weeks again. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. That was another episode with lots of fun. And there's another one coming out in four weeks. And of course, on Tuesday, our regular episodes come out. If you enjoyed this show, then please share it. Share it with other students. Share it with other colleagues. Share it on social media. That would be awesome. We want to have as many eyeballs actually ears on this podcast as possible because that way we can help lots of students and aspiring statisticians to make the right choices make the right next steps so thanks for listening and as usual you can find more on theeffectivestatistician.com slash student ciao and talk to you soon